So grab a budget uh, if you'd like, uh, and if you have questions, hang around next week after the second service, and we can uh, talk about those financial things together before we vote together on the 5th. In a moment, we're going to read Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Um, look, I, I don't know if you're like me. I, 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 I get a lot of emails, and I bet you do too. And you've probably signed up for a billion things in your life, and there's all this stuff that hits your inbox every week. And some of it you remember, and some of it you look back and say, and you're like, why did I sign up for this? Who signed up for this? I certainly didn't sign up for this. Who hacked my email and put this in my inbox, right? There is one thing that I've signed up for um, that I really appreciate uh, and it's, I, I've, I've, there's a couple of folks that I follow for um, some, some encouragement and some motivational quotes to help instruct me and give me wisdom for life. Um, we probably have quotes that we can pull from all different sorts of places. One of the places that now, especially in this season, I like to grab quotes from uh, are coaches. And I heard a quote from a coach this week um, that, that in so many ways helped me recognize and understand, I think, as we've been walking through this identity series, we've been talking about who we are, right? Heard this quote that made me think, you know what? I think that we think this is who we are, and there's actually so much more for us. This is, this is what the coach says. He's talking to his team in the midst of adversity, middle of the season. They're kind of hitting a rough patch. There's hard stuff going on with their team. There's injuries. There's maybe some team chemistry that's not working. All of these challenges that are occurring. And no, it's not my beloved Auburn Tigers. It's coming from a different source, okay? In the midst of all this pain, this is what the coach says to them. He says, fairy tales do not start, nor do they end in the dark forest. That's only something that shows up smack dab in the middle of the story, but it will all work out. It may not work out how you think it will or how you hope it does, but believe me, it will all work out exactly as it's supposed to. It's really interesting that he starts this by saying fairy tales. Now he knows that he and his players are, are not part of a fairy tale. And yet, in almost every area of life, sports, etc., the journeys that we go on, that we walk, are ultimately a story. And in so many ways, he's calling them back to remember all of the stories that they know, even back to childhood. Which is why perhaps he uses the word fairy tales. Think about all of the stories that you know. I would venture to say that most of them end happily ever after, right? There's, the, there's this happy ending to these stories. Even the ones that have the deepest amount of adversity or pain. Because it's not relegated to just Disney movies, all right? There's also other things that you and I have watched that we longingly see because we want to see people overcome. Stuff like Rocky, right? Maybe, maybe it's something a little, you know, in that vein, right, that I may have watched when I was a kid, Star Wars, right? Even in the sci-fi world, there are these kind of redemptive stories, triumph over adversity. There's contemporary modern sports world, like that a lot of us have watched, even our kids may remember the Titans, right? This big story of triumph. You dug it, right? Cool movie. I think one of my favorites um, is this one called Lord of the Rings, this trilogy. And right in the middle is this film called The Two Towers. 
in the two towers, there's this famous massive battle at Helm's Deep. And it's the, 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 really, in, in so many ways, a pivotal point in the whole trilogy, in the book and the films as well, as, as, as the evil, the enemy characters, Sauron, and, and all of these orcs and all these people who are attacking those who are good, Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas and, and all that are with them, all, all of the men of Rohan, the fighters of Rohan, they're, they're at this place called Helm's Deep, and it's this fortress that's built and is really described as being impenetrable, like nothing can, can, can get in it or get to it. This is a place where people are safe, and yet there's this one place of vulnerability that the enemy finds. And the enemy attacks, and things get progressively worse. So much so that, that, that the main characters, that, that, that have, the heroes of the story, are really kind of backs against the wall so much so that they are retreating into the deepest, innermost part of the place that's supposed to be the most secure, impenetrable fortress. This is kind of like the last gasp in many ways. Things are, are, are looking relatively bleak. And then you see this character, Aragorn, who remembers the quote, remembers what his friend, Gandalf, says to him. And he says, on the fifth day, I'll arrive at dawn, right? And this is what happens in the movie. Gandalf comes with an army with him, and what was seemingly lost, what was seemingly hopeless, is not only hope-filled, it's hope-realized. Everything takes a shift. There's a newfound sense of victory and safety that the enemy is vanquished, that things have been conquered. But it took me looking at this fairy tale to see that's how real life is for us as Christians. Because we watch a lot of films and a lot of movies and a lot of things where you rise up with the strength within yourself, you muster up the courage, you go do it yourself. But what's so beautiful about this story and really its depiction in a biblical way is that help must come from outside ourselves. We don't just continue to fight through the adversity. And when that help comes from outside ourselves, not only are we a part of something victorious, we don't just make it through and we don't just conquer the scriptures we're going to read today tell us that we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at our identity today and we're going to see three very specific things that really leap out of this text. Number one, that we are, as verse 37 says, more than conquerors. Second, there's a means by which that's accomplished. There's a means by which that becomes our identity. It actually comes through a very specific channel and it's this, that we are loved by God. Third and finally, that love is not a fleeting love, and it's not a love that you and I can actually even escape from. We are secure in the love of God. We're going to see those three things as we read this together. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35 through 39, says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love 
of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. More than conquerors. You know, the context in which Paul writes this is relatively unique because he's telling a group of believers that they are more than conquerors in some pretty dire situations. You want to talk about adversity? What about some of the things we just read? What about persecution? What about famine? What about being fearful of your life on a daily basis that as people come to know who you are and what you believe, that you could lose your life? That family members, that loved ones would be persecuted and live under such threat of that violence. The world is doing that in effect in, the, in, in this time in Rome to see change happen so that these believers would instead of continually shed, spreading the gospel and sharing Christ would be silenced. You know, talking about adversity? It's a dark place to be. You know, the coach kind of called it the dark forest. The Christian calls it in so many ways the dark night of the soul. This is a, a challenging place to be. This is the crucible of sorts. And Paul writes and says, in this moment, you are more than conquerors. But before he describes what that is and, and really says that to them, he points out something in verse 36 that's really, really important for us to see. You look into verse 36 and you see this language that we are as if we are being, we're lambs being led to the slaughter. If you have your Bible with you, you probably have a little lowercase letter near that verse or around that quote. And it's going to direct you to Psalm 44, verse 22, because that's exactly where it's quoted from. And Paul's doing something really important here in this moment. He's helping these brothers and sisters see and remember their history and their story. Because if you go back to Psalm 44, you see a passage that is riddled with adversity and pain and a group of people who are proclaiming and confessing to God that though they have walked with him and though they love him, though they have trusted him, they feel like they're abandoned. These are just some of the phrases that are used by the writer, the choir master, in Psalm 44. You have rejected us and disgraced us. You have not gone out with our armies. You've made us like sheep for slaughter. You've scattered us among nations. You made us a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me, and shame covers my face. For your sake, we are killed all the day long. And then he says this, wake up, God, why are you sleeping? Why do you hide from us? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? The psalm ends with the psalmist saying, rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your love. I don't know about you, but that's not what my quiet time sounded like this morning. That's not what my prayer life usually sounds like. These are bold statements, but I want to share very emphatically with you that this is not a prayer, this is not a psalm, this is not a song that displeases God. In fact, quite the opposite. Because in moments of distress and adversity and pain and persecution and suffering and hurt, God longs for us to share 
where we are with him. Because it's in those moments that he's able to offer us the beautiful perspective that we actually, in fact, are not alone. And in fact, that moment, that point of pain, is not one through which we will meet any end that is adverse for us. Paul is saying in these challenging, hard moments, what you're walking through is good. And I don't know about you, but I don't like hard stuff. I'd like it if stuff were easy. I'd like it if relationships were easy and choices were easy and decisions were easy and everything was easy. And it's not. But I want to share something that's really, really important for us to understand. So many of the things in life that we believe are happening to us are actually the very moments in which God is masterfully and powerfully working through us. I want you to read this quote from John Piper in a book that's very famous called Don't Waste Your Life. I think he, probably better than most, really illuminates the the meaning of this phrase that Paul gives. When in this moment of pain, this dark forest, the moment of adversity, the dark night of the soul, the crucible, this hard, hard place. Paul says, you're more than conquerors. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. He writes, he says, a conqueror defeats his enemy. But one who is more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy. A conqueror nullifies the purpose of his enemy. But one who is more than a conqueror makes the enemy serve his own purposes. A conqueror strikes down his foe. One who is more than a conqueror makes his foe his slave. Now here's what this means for you and me. I want to take us back to, to Genesis chapter 50 and, and walk back to the example that we know in the story and the life of Joseph. Sold into slavery, everything looks bad. Thinking we're getting out of prison, he's forgotten. Things look worse. All of these things happen to Joseph. And you go back to Genesis and you read that story and you're going to see this powerful line in verse 20 that's going to describe to you and show you not just that Joseph has perspective, but now Joseph actually sees All of the things that he suffered and what he walked through were not things that were simply happening to him, but instead how God was working through him to redeem a whole people, not even just his family. What does the scripture say? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. I want to tell you, brother and sister, that you and I, we're in Christ. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. You know why? Because in Christ, we are people that makes the enemy serve our purposes. When you and I suffer and rest in Jesus simultaneously, that pain of the enemy only is transformed into God's glory. It's only transformed into ways in which he is known and seen and loved and revered and shared. When we are the people of Jesus... The foe becomes our slave. The enemy, the one who seeks to destroy us, is ultimately now only serving the sovereign, providential purpose of God. We could talk about 
all kinds of things about who we are and our identity in Christ. It is paramount that you and I know this. We are more than conquerors in Jesus. But it's not because of what we have done. It is only because we are loved by God. Look at verse 37. It says this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. But how does that happen? How does that come to be? Look at what the verse says. Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. We are loved by God. Now here's the thing. I think you and I probably have a, a relatively strong understanding even just in a natural sense, even if you don't understand you know, 1 John chapter 4, right? That, that we love because God has first loved us. In a very human way, it is normal for us to reciprocate love. We love those who love us, right? But what about people who don't love you? And I'm not talking about like here. I'm talking about don't love you aren't caring towards you, perhaps have even been malicious towards you or hurt you in a really profound way, a way that has wounded you severely. Those kind of people are really hard to love. Amen? All right, you get strong amens on that one, right? Those people are hard to love. Do you know that that's who we were to God? We weren't ambivalent. We weren't these people that were just kind of disinterested in God. No, we were people that were in total rebellion. Enemies of him is what scripture calls us. Look back to Ephesians 2. As Jeff preached last week, we got to see, right, that we were truly enemies of God. And yet he loved us. I'm probably not the only person who's wondered in life, like, how do I really know God loves me? Have you ever done that thing where you, like, ask for a sign? Anybody? Yeah, me too. I bet there's a number of us that at some juncture in our life have probably even asked for a sign or some picture or something where we could get a tangible experience, a, a, a real recognition of the fact that God loves us. In Romans chapter 5, Paul gives us that. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and here's what you see. You see the kind of people that we were, the ungodly. He says, for while we were still weak, so this is the antithesis, this is the opposite of somebody who's more than a conqueror. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And think about this, and think about the way his train of thought is working. He says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So, okay, maybe somebody who loves me, maybe somebody who is, who is, who is worth dying for, that, that's the person I'll die for, that's the person I'll sacrifice for, that's the person that I'll love. But I love this. This, this is it. He says, But God shows his love for us. This is it. So when you read in 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul or, or, writes and he tells all these people in Corinth, he says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And he tells the story of Jesus' crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and then truly him being with all of these people. 500 people see the resurrected Jesus, and the gospel is preached everywhere, all over this amazing picture, account, story is, is given 
that Jesus is alive, that he died and rose again, Paul's saying this is your sign. This is it. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want want to share with you two things. Number one, Jesus did not die for the best version of you. And number two, and this is a bummer, there's just no good version of you. (laughs) There's just not. You're broken, you're sinful, you're in need of a Savior. You didn't offer anything. You brought nothing to the table. In fact, you were the one who brought nothing to the table and spit in the face of the one who loved you, and yet he gave everything so that you could have life in him. You are loved by God. That is your identity. Third, You are supremely secure in the love of God. Supremely secure. Look at verses 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the most beautiful, profound, incredible, exhaustive, and comprehensive pictures of who we are in relationship to God. We are fully and totally, completely secure. When I read this language and I read this list, it's obvious that Paul has thought this through. He's describing so many things here. He's describing rulers. He's saying that life or death can't separate you from God. He's saying that that, that there's no height nor depth, so there's this vertical component He says this, he says, nor things present nor things to come. So he's talking in chronological time. He's talking about the life that you and I live on the time spectrum, that things past, present, future, that those things cannot separate us from God. So he's really coming at this from every possible angle. In every way, shape, or form, he's saying, and he does say that there is no thing, there is nothing, anything else, nothing can separate you from God. One of the wildest parts about this passage, though, is something very specific that jumps out to me that I don't think I'd ever seen before. It says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels. That's kind of weird, right? And these are the good guys. These are the, these are the cherubim, the seraphim. These are the people that, that we see in Isaiah 6, the, 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 the angels that are worshiping the Lord. These creatures that are worshiping consistently God. So what do they have to do with it? I think Paul's doing something really profound here. And in the same way that that coach is telling his his team in this moment of pain to remember the fairy tales, remember all the things that you knew and how everything worked out okay, he's inviting the readers, the hearers, and you and I even deeper into this story and calling us back to the relationship that we have with angels, it dates back to the garden. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verses 23 through 24. Now, a number of us are likely really familiar with the story of Genesis 3. This is, if you got your Bible with you and you look at the top, there's probably a subheading that says the fall. And so this is, this is the place in which Adam, taste, Adam and Eve taste of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and it's not an apple, and we can talk about it afterwards. It's a fascinating conversation, but it's definitely not an apple. They eat the fruit, and everything goes horribly wrong. They've sinned, and now they are quite literally separated from God. They're cast out of the garden. There's parts of this that, that I think we really remember. There's this latter part that maybe we fail to see sometimes. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. We, we remember all of that part, but look at this. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. an angel that is separating man from God. These cherubim have been placed there to guard Eden, to protect it, to separate man, to keep man out with flaming swords. You know the story of the Old Testament, you know what happens next. God commands his people to build a temple, but he lives and resides, his presence resides in this place, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, all are in this place, but now Instead of being and walking with God day by day in the cool of the day, instead of walking with God, instead God is only approached by this high priest who would come in with this incredible amount of incense and all of this sacrifice, this blood sacrifice on what was called the Day of Atonement. This is how the presence of God was experienced for the people of the Old Testament. And in this temple, in this tabernacle that lasted for years and years and years, it was adorned, the Holy of Holies was, with a curtain, or what we might call a veil. And it is historically known that on this veil is a depiction of these angels with flaming swords. So when we see Jesus crucified and the curtain being torn, there's bigger imagery here. It is now the picture of that garden opening again. It's the picture of the people of God being restored back to the presence of God continually because of what Jesus has done. Jesus opens the way to God. He is the great high priest, as the book of Hebrews would tell us. And so this is what we can know. Not even angels, not the cherubim that guarded the garden, can separate us from God. In no way can we be separate from Him. That's a cool story if it's a fairy tale. But if it's true, it changes everything. And that's your story, and that's mine if we're in Christ Jesus. We've been talking week after week about who we are. And these things are for you individually, but it also means for us as a body of believers, a local body, a corporate family of worship. This is who you are. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Why? Because he loved you and loves you. And he loved me and loves me. That's who we are. And finally, Jesus is making all things new. 
Everything is restored through him. You know what that means? That means that nothing can separate you from God. Nothing. You're secure in him. That's who you are. This morning, our worship team is going to come, and this would be my encouragement to you as we prepare to depart this place. You know who you are. At least in some ways, right? And I'm not just talking about, like, you know, your social and your address and that kind of stuff, but you know the family you come from. You know the things you've experienced in life. You know the life and the story that's, that's not a fairy tale in a lot of ways. And you know the adversity that you are walking through even now. But I just want to ask you like really poignantly and just like in this moment a simple question. Do you know who you are? Because in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in him... This is who you are. You are more than a conqueror. You are loved by God. And you are fully secure in him. Brother and sister, if we can't find hope in that, we're big trouble. Thanks be to God that we do not depend on our hearts, but we can rest in his. Amen? We're going to have the opportunity in a moment uh, to, to have the coolest. Bren Harrelson is going to be baptized here in just a moment. Uh, so Chad and Tamara and Taryn are going to walk with me, and we're going to go get her ready for baptism and celebrate her new life in Christ. As we prepare to sing, would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word that not just reminds us, but tells us, instructs us, gives us assurance of who we are. Father, we are more than conquerors in you. Father, only by your love for us. And Father, we are secure in that love. You cause us to believe that this day and evermore. In Jesus' name, amen.